0: Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Good morning, Living Word. How are you guys doing? Good. Uh, Did you guys eat well? Good breakfast? Thumbs up? Wonderful. Now let me ask you this question. How did you sleep last night? stinky. I, not good. So many noises in the cabin. Boys' cabin was so stinky. I get it. Didn't sleep at all? All right. Wow. So I got a tough, tough, tough job. I've got a bunch of tired students who have just eaten well that are now sitting in soft cushioned chairs. All right. And it's nice and warm in here. It's a nice comfortable temperature. So please, please, please do me a favor. Don't fall asleep. Yeah, pay attention. If you see somebody start to nod, you know how you give them the little elbow. You ever had that thing in school? maybe you stayed up late, and you're like sitting like this, and you feel like you're starting to fall? Anybody ever have that? You're starting to fall, And then what do you do? What's your response? You're like, "Whoa!" And then everybody looks at, "Oh, you fall asleep, you actually fall asleep. I can't catch yourself, and you kind of do this overreaction, and everyone looks at you. So please don't do that. Please don't do that. I think we'll be all right. Um, So we got a big day ahead of us, right? Who signed up for the zip line? Okay, great. That's exciting. How about the uh, horseback riding? Who signed up for that? Oh, man, what a lovely day to go out for a horseback ride. I'll tell you what, you guys really got lucky. We might even have a few more spots available. If anybody wants to join, if they got a break in the day. Uh, How about archery tag in the gym? I know. Um, and what was the other one? Paintball. Paintball. Okay, Are you guys going to do like a kids versus leaders game up there at all? No? Oh, you're saying yeah? Exact a little revenge. I see. <laughs> all right. Hey, let me jump in. I'm glad you guys are excited. I'm glad we got a big day. I'm glad the weather is cooperating. It's not rainy. It's not freezing. You guys are going to have a wonderful time here today. And I'm very excited. But this is part of the weekend. It's not just about the activities, although the activities in Alone are great. And they could probably stand alone, but we do want to go a little bit deeper than that, and not just have an opportunity where we can hang out as a church body and hopefully encourage each other, make new friends. I was kind of shared the other day, all right, but also where we can learn a little bit. We can actually pause in the moments of this busy life that you lead, all right. And I know you lead busy lives whether it's running around to practices or hanging out with friends and doing the school and all that stuff, to pause and reflect and say, let's take a moment and see what life is really about. Let's see if we can really figure this out because we know we live in a broken world and something in us is is, uh, saying something's wrong. And, I, and as I said yesterday, I think those words of truth, those words of encouragement, those words that offer a solution when the world we live in is found in Scripture. And this is kind of our main passage. And last night, we looked at the topic of the sovereign Lord, sovereignty. Not an easy topic to cover on the first night of a hopefully fun and exciting weekend, But if you didn't know or heard about sovereignty before, we tried to go in it a little bit more. That sovereign means supreme ruler, in control of everything. And it's describing the God that we were just singing songs to up there. And it might have brought up a few questions, because I think you know things about him. But we'd be foolish to say we think we got it all figured out. Because if the God is true that we learn about in Sunday school, we learn about in youth group, we learn about on weekends like this, it might bring up a few more questions to us. And we want to unpack that. If God is all-powerful, if he really is sovereign, if he really is the creator of this world, and this world, this universe is amazing. You know, back in the 1970s, there was a guy named Carl Sagan that lived. All right, well... He lived later than that, but in the 70s, kind of when he was really popular, and he said he was like an astronomer, a scientist, and he uh, estimated once that there was over eight octillion stars in the universe, eight octillion stars. Well, just probably about eight or ten years ago, the Hubble Space Telescope discovered a quadrant of the universe that had hadn't been detected before. And and scientists said they estimated as many as four quadrillion stars in that. That the God that created this universe that is powerful enough to create stars and hang them in the sky. Something so massive and so expansive that just goes on our minds can't comprehend. This is the God that we're singing songs of. He hung the stars in the sky, it says. But he also didn't work just big and grand. He also worked small. On this earth alone... There are flowers that will germinate, that will grow, that will blossom on the top of the Himalayan mountains that no eyes will ever see. That's the same God. If He's that powerful and that caring and that attentive to detail, whether it's putting the stars, the deepest trenches in the sea, the highest mountains on this earth, the flowers that no one will ever see, then why? Why? is this world sometimes a difficult place to live in, that it's not okay. Something's broken and something's missing. Man, I wish sometimes we could roll back the clock and look at life the way like a two-year-old does. You know, sometimes they use the words ignorance is bliss. Do you know what that means? The less I know, maybe the happier I am. But the more we know and as we grow in the very age that you guys are now and you're discovering more things, you're learning more things, you're experiencing more things, all right, it gets a little bit harder. I wish we could roll back and see the eyes as a child, maybe even on Christmas Day, that it doesn't matter what he or she is given. It's just exciting, kind of like this little boy. I got a banana. I got banana. Go banana. I got banana. It's free. Yeah, I got a banana home. You're going to bring it home? I got a banana home. What do you say? Thank you. I got a banana. He got a banana. How awesome is that? Not very awesome when it comes to Christmas presents, but it was, he doesn't know any better. There is actually videos you can go online, maybe you'll do it on YouTube, of people your age getting gifts and getting really upset and disappointed because it's not exactly what they wanted. And it was something very nice. It was the TV that they got for Christmas was too small, or the game system they got was a little outdated and wasn't the current version. You see, the older we get, sometimes the more we know, sometimes... We get disappointed more. The more trust we put in the people, the higher expectations. He had no expectations. He was just very excited about it. Things were easy and simple. There was no worry. And only as we get older, sometimes do we become more disillusioned. You know, I have this verse up here. And this is the one we kind of talked about. That the reason the world is kind of so screwed up, where there's people that are hurting, But there's people that are sad, people that are lonely. The reason there's wars is not because God has forgotten us. As we get older, we want to say and put the blame somewhere because we don't think it could be us. We didn't do anything wrong. We're doing okay. We're getting A's in school. You know, we keep our room clean. Why is the world sometimes so messed up? Well, the scripture is clear here. God created a great world for us to experience and live in, to have that excitement of a two-year-old on Christmas. But we got a little disillusioned on the way. And it says here that we started at times to challenge God. God created a great world for us to experience. We could just go around and say, look how awesome it is. Look how awesome it is. But we started to challenge him for authority in our lives. And when the challenging wasn't working, then sometimes we started to ignore him. And tune him out. You guys should be familiar with that a little bit, right? Ignoring. I've got kids about your age. They're on their devices playing Fortnite. we got got Fortnite players. Yeah, okay, a couple of you back there. I'm like, hey guys, it's time for dinner. I know they hear me. I know they hear me. They're playing the little Fortnite. Hey guys, time for dinner. What do they do? They keep playing. They keep playing hey guys, time for dinner. They keep playing. Finally, you got to go in there and yell or turn it off. And then they get upset because they didn't listen to me when I said it was time for dinner. Why did you do that? What do you mean? I didn't do it. You did it. You chose to ignore me. But people, it says in these passages, started to challenge God. Then they ignored him. After that didn't work, he's still reminding them, guys, live the good life, do the right thing, stop hating, stop practicing these things, stop hurting each other. Then they started to hate him because they wouldn't, he wouldn't give them their freedom. And eventually they forgot about him. Then he began to curse him. And at one point, they started to replace him with other things. And... and You know, I'll throw out the beginning part of those verses up here. This is what it says. It says, For since the creation of the world, the invisible attributes of his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. They've been understood through all that. They have no excuse. They know who I am. They know that I'm a loving God that created the universe, that put all these things in place for them to enjoy. It says they were without excuse. For even though they knew God, then they didn't honor him as God. They didn't give thanks. It says at one point, they even started to replace him. They made things to replace him, made things where they wanted to worship, made things that they wanted to ask favors for, made things that they wanted to ask questions and get solutions to their problems that thought they would fix them. They made things, you know, silly things. Something maybe like this. And this was what they said would give answers to life. Now, we don't have those things, but I know we have idols in our lives. We have replaced God as the authority figure in our lives with something else. We have kind of done the same thing. And if you think about the silliness of this, the prophet Isaiah explains it a little bit more. I'm not going to read the whole thing here, but if you look at the bottom, all right, it says, hey, When you started to replace God, you know what you did? It says you went out into the woods and you cut down a tree. You brought the tree back to your house. You cut it down with a tool that you made and then you cut the tree in half. You put half over here and half over here. Then you took the tools out of the half of the tree that you decided on and you made an image out of it. You carved it, you shaped it, you put it up, then you brought it into your house and you put it up on the mantle, and you began to worship it and say, please send rain. I mean, how silly does that sound? A tree that you cut down, that you cut in half, that you shaped and made, and then you bring it and you put it into your house and you begin to ask it for favors, ask it for things, ask it to solve your problems. And it says the other half you use to cook with, you use to heat your house, I mean, doesn't that ask the question, how do you know you chose the right half, right? What if you chose the wrong half to worship and you burned the other half, all right? That we have this issue of wanting to replace God. And you can look in your own life. What are the things that you worship and that you look up to, that you look for answers? And maybe it's not found in the Bible, okay? So to go a little bit further with this theme of beauty for ashes, the next thing you see highlighted is comfort all who mourn. What does that mean? As I said, <clears throat> we live in a world full of hurt, where there's people that are starving, people, children that are forced into labor, cheaper that are in war-torn countries looking for some respite, some hope, as their parents are gone and they're fending for themselves. This is the world we live in. What is God going to do about it? Can he fix it? And the answer is yes. 2 Corinthians says this, Praise be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts all of our troubles. He comforts those that are mourning, those that are hurting, those that need help. He comforts them. Now, I don't know. <clears throat> this is the description of him. He hurts when we're hurting. I gave an analogy last night. Okay. Of imagine I'm walking down the road with one of you guys. And we're walking along and we're on a nice, safe road, the road that leads to a great destination. A road that doesn't have a lot of obstacles, anything to trip, anything to hurt us. We're walking down this road and all of a sudden you see a little path over there and your curiosity comes up. You're like, John, let's take the path. I'm like, no, I know that path. That path is dangerous. There could be stickers there. There could be holes. There could be traps. There could be crazy animals. You don't want to go down there. You're like, John, please. All right. And I put up signs to say that to, to warn you. And you choose to ignore those signs. I plead with you. And you choose to forget about those pleas. I even might put up barriers. And you want to go do it. And finally you go ahead and you break the rules. You ignore the signs. You forget about all the warnings I've given you. And you go down that path and you get hurt. And you look at me like, John, why did you let me go down this path? And I would say, I didn't make you go down that path. You chose to go down that path. You made your bed, now lie in it. You. you deal with the problems that you caused or maybe I might say I told you so I told you if you went down there but fortunately that analogy or that story is not true of what the Lord does because he says he's gone down that path people wanted to go down this path they went and when they looked at him and said God why did you do this to you to us why did you do this? Why did you let there be wars that we made? Why did you let there be famines that we created? Why did you let there be sicknesses that we kind of created through not living well? Why did you do this? And he says, you know what? I know you're hurting. I know you're lost. I know you made these decisions, but I'm not going to say I told you so. I'm not going to say that's your bed. You made it. Now lie in it. I'm going to help you. I want to comfort you. I want to bring you back because I hurt when you're hurting. And a great definition of comfort or the way to execute comforting is you have to be close to somebody. There has to be a level of intimacy. There has to be a connection. That might become harder and harder for us to understand what it means to really comfort people that need comforting. You know, whether it's something that's happening in the world, something that's happening in Baltimore, something that's happening in York. It doesn't matter. We know we need comforting. We're all hurting in some way. Maybe we haven't experienced war, but we have experienced hurt. Maybe we haven't experienced famine, but maybe we have experienced loneliness. Maybe we haven't experienced what it means to go to bed and not know where your parents are. But maybe you have experienced not having an awesome relationship with your parents through one thing or the other. But in our world, in our day and age, technology is a great thing but it also is a little bit of a problem. I know most of you probably have your devices with you, your smartphones. but the great thing about technology allows us to stay in touch with so many people, but it doesn't necessarily allow us to be really connected and intimate with each other. The The digital age, full of technology, it's difficult to understand. You can't comfort somebody through a text or a Snapchat. You can give your condolences, You can kind of say, I'm sorry, but that's not comforting. In order to really comfort somebody, you got to go over to their house and give them a hug when they need the hug. Put your arm around them when they need that, when they need support. You have to be in a relationship with them. And that's exactly what we see in Scripture. Philippians 2 has this idea. It says, have the same mindset which was in Christ Jesus who in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in his appearance as a man he humbled himself and he came into our world you see the world he created and gave to us is this beautiful gift to experience life like a 2 year old on christmas getting whatever that there was just great joy we thought we grew up we thought we became wise but we became foolish and we started to ignore, started to disregard, started to hate, started to curse, and eventually replace the very God that gave us this wonderful gift. And because of that, that's when things change in this world, that it didn't become as beautiful as it once was. It didn't become as gentle as it once was. And all these things change. And then we look back to God and said, help us. Why did you do this? He says, I didn't do this, but I am going to help you. I'm going to send somebody into your world to get close, to comfort you, and to give you the way out and lead you back to me through that, get you off of that path and bring you back to me to someplace safe. And I'm not just going to send you anybody. I'm going to send you my son to come back. I'm going to take my son who's sitting in heaven on a throne, in robes, being worshiped. And I look at him and say, son, those people out there that we created, that we gave them this beautiful gift, they're hurting. Can we do anything about it? And he says, son, I want you to leave your throne. I want you to leave your royalty. I want you to leave the worship that you so rightly deserve. And I want you to take the form of a man and go into the world and comfort them. Get close to them, not from way up here in heaven. I want you to walk beside them. I want you to put your armor on them. I want you to put your eyes on the blind. I want you to grab the hand of a lame person. I want you to stand in protection of a woman caught in adultery. I want you to do that and show them that I still love them and I still care for them. And I want them back, but not from a distance, from up close and personal. I think most of you are story with the story of the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son. Raise your hand if you know it. Okay, not a whole lot of us. So I'm going to give us a little background. But this is a great illustration of God's love for us. Jesus is telling this story in the New Testament in a book called Luke. Luke chapter 15, kind of halfway in the middle of it. Here was a son that he had that, that, that grew up in a rich man's house. His dad was rich. His dad was wealthy. His dad owned cattle. His dad owned goats. He had a big house. And the son says, Dad, thanks for letting me live in this wonderful place that you have created. I love it. You've worked really hard to give me these nice things. Thanks, but no thanks. You see, I want to take everything, you know, that you have, and I want to use it for myself. You see, there's this idea of this inheritance that was given. And inheritance is given when somebody dies, right? But he goes to his Dad, I don't want to wait for you to die. Um, to have my share of the inheritance. Can I have it now? Because I'm young and I want to spend it. And the dad gives him the inheritance. I mean, dad's much more gracious than I would be in this story. He gives him the inheritance and says, here it is. Do your thing. I know you don't want to live in my house. I know you want to live by my rules. I know you want to live with my stuff. You want your own stuff. You want to make your own decisions with what to do with it. And he takes his money and he goes, and he goes crazy with it. Some of the things he actually does is a little disturbing. Some of the things he does is actually kind of sick and twisted. But he takes his money and he goes and he spends all his dad's money to the point where he's starving now. It says he gets a job feeding pigs. This wealthy man's son gets a job feeding pigs. All right, And as he's feeding these pigs, he's so hungry, he actually takes food away from the pigs and begins to eat it himself. That's the situation he was in and put ourselves in that story, for you will, on a grander scale. Because we are experiencing the same thing. We had God that gave us this wonderful world to live in, and somehow we corrupted and polluted it. And then we want to say, why God? That's like the son saying, Dad, why did you give me my share of the inheritance when I asked for it? Well, because you asked for it. He goes, but you knew I was going to mess it up. Well, I was hoping for the best. He didn't blame his dad in this story, or maybe he did. Maybe he thought some of those thoughts we're all human and we kind of think alike sometimes but he says this place is so rough i'm in such a low place i need something to eat i need a place to sleep that's warm i need a soft bed i need to be around people and he decides to go home and he says i can't go home in the way that i am and expect to be welcome back back maybe my dad will just give me a job being a servant i could work the fields for him i won't even sleep in the house You know, I'll just sleep in the barn or in the hay or out in the pastures. I just need something. And he goes back to his father's house. There's a story ringing a bell now a little bit, hopefully, the prodigal son. And in Luke 15, it says this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. There's that word again. Filled with compassion. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now, if you think about that, just don't read it for what it is. Let's try to dissect it a little bit more. If we want to understand this idea of compassion for those that mourn, compassion for those that long for something more, compassion for those that are hurting or desperate or lost or confused, compassion. You see, this guy was a wealthy guy. He had a lot going on in his property. He owned many mountains, many acres of land with cattle and servants to work it. He's not in his office trying to figure out how to make a little bit more money, which cattle to sell, which ones need to breed, which ones need to grow, how to manage his property, how to invest his money. He's not out checking on the laborers and the workers. It says, he saw him standing while he was still a long way off. His father saw him with full of compassion. To me, and I hope I'm not reading into it, to me, it creates the idea that during the day, the father would stand on the porch and look and say, when is my son coming home? Do I see him yet? Could he come back today? Okay, I stood here today, not today. Maybe, maybe the next day. I'm standing. Where is my son? Where is he? I'm looking for him on the horizon. And when he finally sees him walking, it doesn't say he sent one of his servants. Hey, go get him and bring him back. Go get him. Go bring him back. I missed him. Doesn't say he stood there and waited for his son to come to him, and his son came to him. and Says, "See, I told you so. I told you so. All right, you blew all that money. Now you're gonna have to work your way back into good graces. You know the idea that trust is lost in buckets and gained in drops. You got to work really hard to be back in my family." He doesn't do that. He looks at him, and from a far away off, it says he ran to him. He ran to him, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. He got close. There is people that are historians that are smarter than I am. And they said for a man of his status, it was a dignified for him to run. He had people to run and deliver messages. You know how they wore like these togas and things like that? Kind of look like dresses for guys. You know what I'm talking about? Big togas. In order for him to run, he would have to hike it up. That's why in all the pictures you see of those ancient times, the messengers, the servants had these shorter ones on so that he could move their legs freely and run. He had a long one. He was a dignified business owner, a man of wealth. In order for him to run, he would have had to hike up his toga and run to him. He was willing to risk his reputation to welcome his son back. He loved him that much, even though his son made some bad decisions. And that is what God the Father does for us. He loves us so much. He says, I don't want them to continue to struggle. I got a way out, but the way out comes at a cost. Son, I need you to go into their world, take their form, and I need you to comfort them. I need you to provide a way out. I need you to provide a way back to me so that I can welcome them back home. Can you do that? Can you comfort them? And that's exactly what he did. You're going to hear more about that tonight. The love of the father to give up his son, to bring us back, even though we made some bad decisions, he says, it's okay. I'll I'll, I'll provide the way. I'll make the way. Just come and walk with me, and I'll comfort you. I'll wipe away your tears. I'll heal some of those broken things in this world. And that's what he does, the prodigal son, to adequately comfort somebody you need to be close you need to be close I want to introduce you to a, a, a dear friend of mine All right, so that's my wife on the right obviously that's me on the left okay? and this is a lady named Antoinette here in the middle I got to meet Antoinette in 2014 you see Antoinette brought her son to River Valley Ranch to camp here In 2014, he came for a week, loved it. I got to know him, got to play basketball, all right? Then um, he went home for a week. He loved camp so much he wanted to come back, okay? So he was here a first week of camp. Then he went home for the second week of camp, came back the third week of camp, because we just don't run weekend summer camp, and he came. And the week that he was here, this, uh, this, this situation happened. Um, I think you guys have met Aaron. I know the leaders have. He was leading a meeting down in a, 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 a building, a pavilion down there. And Antoinette's son was at camp. He noticed the clouds starting to get a little bit dark and said, okay, a storm's coming. We're in a pavilion. Why don't we get up to uh, this place, a, a covered building? And they had to walk back up a path. As they're walking back up this path, this weird thing happened. It was almost like a mini tornado. All right? It was called a microburst. It was about an 80-mile-hour wind kind of came up in a very small area of the camp and went through. And the period of about 30 to 40 seconds, it took down about 40 trees, big trees, falling down, falling down. Any tree that was in that path just kind of bent over, broke, or fell, or tops came down and crashed. And trees were coming through, and that little microburst was coming up right up this little path that the kids were walking at the time to get undercover. And there was a tree that fell on Antoinette's son that was at camp and his name was Justin. 2014. Antoinette, as I got to know her a little bit more because I had, um, well, finished telling the rest of the story. When the tree fell on Justin, it actually took his life here at camp. He passed away there on the trail and it was sad. I remember watching the EMTs work on him and I was praying, Lord, bring him back to life. Bring him back to life. This is a broken world. Why does this have to happen in such a safe place like River Valley Ranch? Not here. And there were times my eyes would play tricks where I thought I'd see his chest kind of go up and down. But that wasn't the case. And uh, we called Antoinette. Need to get to the hospital. She went to the hospital to see her son lying on a table, passed away. Her initial instinct as a mother, is there anything I do? Can I get close to him? And she tried laying on top of him, making him warm again. And this is the situation. And Antoinette's story is, 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 is crazy and it's very moving to me because she was all alone. Justin was all she had. She, her, her mom was a single, uh, a single child, so she had no cousins, no aunts or no uncles growing up. Her mom passed away at an at, at early age, and she raised Justin by himself, and Justin was her only son. Justin's father left and married somebody else. And it was just been for years, Antoinette and her son, Justin. And he was taken away in a tragic story. And I remember saying, God, why? Where were you? This is a good place. Why would you let this happen? I asked some of the same questions that you have probably asked in your life. If you're so good and so in control, why would you let this happen? And I remember his answer. It didn't come in a cloud. It didn't come in a voice in some of my head. It came through Scripture. John, this is a broken world. But I've come to fix the broken. I've come to heal them. I'm convinced one day that I'll see Justin in heaven with this. But the idea of telling this story is Antoinette needing comforting. She was all alone. It was only her and Justin. Now she has a huge family of people that love her and care for her. We call, we talk, we get together. Even though our lawyer said, listen, this is a charging thing. You need to break off all communication with Antoinette. This is not what you do. But we said, that's the legal advice, but what's the right advice? We want to go to her, and we want to comfort her. We want to do something because she's all alone. It wasn't through emails. It wasn't through text. It wasn't through videos. It was going there. And we got to spend time with her. And still to this day, a couple times a year, my wife and I get together with her. We're getting together with her this Wednesday to celebrate her birthday, because she's alone she has a huge family, other people just can't keep in touch with her. We comfort, but it caused us to get into their world, into her world, in order to be there, because we live in a broken world where there's pain and there's hurt and there's loss, there's deception. But we can enter each other's world as Christ entered our world to win our affection and bring us back to loving God and heal the hurts, rescue the brokenhearted, and relieve the pain through his comforting that he's in control. Thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.